Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. John insisted that the distinction must be made between who he was and what he was preaching. His answers become shorter and shorter. Did you notice that? Who are you? I am not the Christ. Are you Elijah? I am not. Are you the prophet? No. John's answers become shorter and shorter because he was getting tired of talking about himself. As he said about Christ, that he must increase and I must decrease. John wasn't sent to talk about himself. He was sent to talk about Jesus. His last answer was actually the shortest of all. All he did was quote the prophet Isaiah. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. That should have done it. This was not about John. This was about who it was that John was preparing for. John made this as clear as he could. Then why do you baptize if you're not the Christ or Elijah or the prophet? One way or another, John's detractors who had no interest in what John was saying, because they had no interest in what God had been saying, wanted to make it all about who John was and who he thought he was and what he thought he was doing. They didn't ask how they might make straight the way. They didn't ask in what manner the Lord was coming. They, had, they asked no informational questions about the substance of what he taught. They asked about him. They didn't even ask what value his baptism had. They asked why he was baptizing. They wanted John to remain under scrutiny because they did not want to be scrutinized themselves. Still undistracted, however, John continued to direct them to Jesus. John is a voice. Water is water. Jesus is everything. Repent. How much clearer could John make it that it is not about the preacher, but about what he is preaching? The word comes before the voice that speaks it. That is, if God's word is being spoken. The word is greater than the voice that speaks it. That is, if we speak of God's eternal word and the promises he made since the world began. And this is the distinction that John made concerning himself and Christ. It is he who, coming after me, is before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. Four days before God made the sun and the moon and the stars, God spoke light into existence. By means of his eternal word, God created, created light. Then he gave this light to those servants he made to carry it to us. The sun and the moon and the stars and men have been worshiping them. By means of his eternal light, God caused a message to be proclaimed. He gave this message to those he sent to speak. The prophets and the apostles. God doesn't need the sun. We do. God doesn't need the messenger. We do. God doesn't need his servants to do what they do. We do. Jesus doesn't need his way straightened. We do. It is we, not God, who need the servant of God. We are not doing God a favor by listening to his word. He is doing us a favor. He does not want us to stumble. He says, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. To be offended, as we heard last week, is to stumble at his words. There's something in the way. The one who stumbles at the gospel that is preached to the poor is the one who ignores the preparation of John who tells us to repent. 
But John wants us to be blessed. Because Jesus wants us to be blessed. He teaches us to see what all the prophets show us to see so that we might see the Lamb of God who takes everything away that is in our way between us and God. God doesn't need the preacher to make himself known, but because God chooses only to be known through the message that is preached, we need preachers, and we thank God for sending them to us. As we will hear tomorrow morning, John the Evangelist introduces John the Forerunner by making clear that John was not that light, but came to bear witness to that light. The fact that he has to make this clear, and the fact that John the Baptist has to make it clear himself in this morning's lesson, shows that people were trying to make him a bigger deal than he wanted to be. There are different reasons for this, I suppose. I'm sure some wanted to make John more than he was because they wanted to make more of their own preparation, more of their own obedience. See how good we are at doing what John told us to do. See how prepared we are. See how well we avoid the sins that others commit. We're good at not doing what he preaches against. This is one reason to make John a bigger deal than he is. I suppose this sort of following was likely and even inevitable wherever the law is preached. And another reason to make John a bigger deal than he was is this. By making it all about John, instead of dealing with what he says, those who don't like what he says can force the issue to be about the one saying it instead of what he is saying. But the message is greater than the messenger. The messenger is easier to pick apart than. The messenger speaks the message because God tells him to speak it just as the sun shines because God, who created light, commands the sun to shine. Those who get drunk at night do so in order not to be seen, but God sees. Cursing the sun only causes those who love darkness to stumble. Cursing the messenger only causes those who need the message to stumble when he, is, when he who is light of light appears in glory. The preparation of John is that we receive him first when he comes in mercy. Just as the message is greater than the messenger, so the ministry is greater than the ministry. We must make this distinction. It is Christ's ministry. It is Christ who serves us through the one he commands to speak his word. The preacher doesn't make what he preaches true. Rather, the eternal truth of God's word is what the preacher preaches, if he is true. Yes, he studies and plans and prepares. He puts work into it. Often this complicates things more than it clarifies things. But what the preacher says must always be judged as worth listening to, based on whether or not it is in fact the word of God. Is this what God wants you to hear? There are his words to be sure, the preacher's that is, but I mean, he put them in order and tries to make a point. But you listen to him only insofar as and because they are what God has already said. The ministry is greater than the minister. We distinguish between the two, but we must not divide the two. As surely as only a fool would hide from the sun because he prefers sunlight. So it is the fool who says he doesn't need to hear God's word preached to him since he already believes it. When Jesus sent the apostles to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel, he instituted the office of preaching and administering the sacraments 
that will continue even until the end of the age, as long as he remains with us. And so he remains with us. The light continues to shine in the darkness because Christ, the word of God, continues to send messengers, servants, to bear witness of what he teaches. And his word is a light to our path and a lamp to our feet. The Bible is God's word. And it's good for us to read the Bible at home and with our families. It's good for us to memorize passages and remember them. God commands that his word be in our hearts and on our lips. But God also commands preachers to preach it. And that's what the Bible says. And he commands Christians to hear it. He who hears you hears me. He who rejects you rejects me. He said this to preachers. God didn't send Bibles down to earth from heaven. He didn't institute an infallible ecclesiastical institution run by an infallible vicar of Christ to give its own infallible seal of approval on the Bible. He sent preachers who had borne witness to Christ, who had been with him from the beginning. It is their words that were originally preached, and it is their words now preserved for us in Holy Scripture that every faithful preacher is accountable to. We have the Bible because God gave us his word. We have the Bible because God commanded men to preach it. And we listen to the voice that preaches from the Bible, and we judge it as faithful or not based on the written word, precisely because the Bible comes from God and not from man. The church is known as Zion. The church proclaims good tidings. The church is always eager to heed this message. Behold your God. He is coming to you. The church knows what members are in the church, at least outwardly, and seeks always to be reconciled to those who are within it for joy that we gather here in order to be reconciled to God. Without regularly hearing the word of God together, obviously our hearts will grow apart from each other, but they will also grow dark until faith is lost, until the gospel which we have learned and the peace of God becomes nothing more than an idea that originated within us. Just consider how depressed you get by the middle of November because the sun doesn't shine as long as it used to. You can't store up summer by holding memories of it. So also you can't retain your faith by simply remembering the gospel. If seasonal darkness has such an effect on us, spiritual darkness is even more powerful. God wants you to hear the gospel with your ears often. That's why he tells you to hear it. That's why he commands men to preach it. And just as we enjoy the sun while it shines abundantly in the summer, and we light more lamps when the days are short, so we also hear the word when God's servant is preaching it. And we seek to hear it more when the world outside grows darker, and all the more when our own hearts become distracted and weighted down with worries and cares of this life. Without regularly hearing what the Word of God says and learning the distinction between the breath of God that causes you to waste away and the breath of God that revives you, that is, between the law that condemns you and the gospel that saves you, without regularly applying it to yourself, it also happens that we want to make more make it more about the preacher than the message itself, more about how he says what he says 
than about what he says. And John came to prepare us to avoid this. We make the distinction between the message and the messenger, between the word and the voice. There's another distinction that we should make, and that is the distinction between the divinity of Jesus and his humanity. He is God from eternity. He is man in time. His Godhead predates his manhood, and yet, though we distinguish between his two natures, we never divide them. He who is God from eternity will remain our brother for eternity. He who stands forever joins himself to us who wither and fade. He joins us in order to take our sin upon himself. And this is what Christmas is all about. He lives the perfect life of obedience to God. He walks through the treacherous pathways that our sins have turned this world into. He joins us in our darkness, and he doesn't stumble. He resists every temptation. He is better than all. There is no how you said it to squirm out of what he said. His word is true. He is the truth. He is the word made flesh to become our substitute. He is better than we are. He succeeds where we fail, and yet he doesn't condemn us. He lays all paths flat and straight as he journeys headlong to the cross for us. He walks through the darkness and the cold where the sun does not shine and the warmth is not welcome. They crucify him. And by the light of his gospel, he sheds light and warmth wherever he speaks. And Zion rejoices. In him, the word and the voice find perfect communion. In him, the sun and the shine join together as one. There is no dissonance. He makes peace between God and man, not by becoming man alone, but by suffering the wrath of God at the hands of men. He bears our sin for us and lets his body wither and his beauty fade as his life itself is offered as a sacrifice for our sins to make peace between us and God. And here we find our comfort. We find the reason he sent any preacher. We find the reason he exposed any sin or turned any rock. It was to lay it on his son who makes peace between us and God. He who dies stands back up again. And the one who dies is none other than the eternal Son of God, the God-man, who is the Word made flesh and has eternal life to give through the forgiveness of our sins. God joins himself to us in his incarnation. He has won for us salvation, and he delivers this salvation by joining us to himself in holy baptism. And by joining us to himself in holy baptism, he joins us to one another. He joins us to what must be distinguished, but must never be separated. He gathers us together as lambs and sheep to hear his word, to know that we are safe, and to seek one another's safety by confessing the same gospel that saves us. Yes, we are prepared by being reduced to grass, and yet we come for that which abides forever the eternal word of God that honors us, removes our sin, and gives us new birth. We have heard two things regarding the word of God. First, we must distinguish between the ministry and the ministry, between the messenger and the message preached. And second, although we must distinguish, we must not divide. The two go together. We have the perfect example right here in our gospel 
that is concerning baptism, by which water and the word are united in order to unite us to God and in order to unite us to one another through a common faith. Baptism is not just plain water. It is the water included in God's command and combined with God's promise. So in the same way, the preacher is not merely a voice. He's a sinner. He speaks. He bumbles. He talks too much. But he is, by God's will and decision, a voice that carries the eternal word of God to you. And the water and the word are joined, so also the voice and the gospel are joined. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has sinned, that he regrets darkness in his heart, let him cling to his baptism and see where God unites him to himself. We must make a distinction. Baptism works the forgiveness of sins, rescues from death and the devil, and gives eternal salvation to all who believe. Not through the water, but through the word of God in and with the water, and by faith that trusts the word of God in the water. So also it is not by hearing the voice, my voice, that your sins are forgiven. It is by the word of God and with this voice that works and strengthens faith in you who hear. We can manipulate the preacher. We can side with the man. Man can think of every way to be on God's side by clinging to the servant rather than trusting in God. And many have argued about what manner of baptism is required from Jesus. And those who argue don't believe baptism does a single thing. They point you to your faith, to your commitment. But where God joins our flesh, where God causes water to join his word, he drives you to his commitment. He teaches what he has promised. He joins you to what he has fulfilled in time. He washes your sins away, buries you into the eternal word's grave who rose again to give you eternal life. And so we do not divide from one another because it is by joining together and gathering that we hear of the gospel that unites us to Christ. We listen to it, we believe it, and we rejoice with joy inexpressible that our sins are forgiven. And so we prepare for, for Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.